Welcome to the Calvary Assembly podcast with weekly messages from Calvary Assembly of God Church in Lexington, Nebraska. You can find out more online at lexag.org and on Facebook at Calvary Assembly Lex. Thanks for listening. excited today. We have some brand new missionaries that are going out into the field. Jeremy and Darylise Gaster, uh, they've been in McCook for a long, long, long time. Uh, Jeremy was, when we were trying to find a pastor for McCook, Jeremy's one of the guys that stepped in and filled in speaking and helped out with the board. And, and it, was, it was rough for a while. And he just stood right through the middle of it. And uh, he met this incredible young lady, Darylise. They have two kids. But God is calling them now to go to Spain and to share the gospel. So they were just appointed like a couple months ago December. in December, uh, just appointed brand new missionaries. So we're starting their itineration. So we're excited we get to have these guys share here. And I know him and Tim were friends in college. So he's a good judge of character. Absolutely. So we know that. I almost said something sarcastic, but I didn't. But they've been great friends for a long time. So would you give a huge Calvary welcome to Jeremy and Darylise Scaster this morning? So... Good to have you, buddy. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Oh my, the memories! Yeah, I know. I know several people here. Maybe some of the, some of you guys uh, can remember a a college uh, thing we did. A uh, um, uh, what did we call it? I don't know. What did we call it? Do you remember? Written in red. Yeah, yeah. He still has a T-shirt. I think I have one somewhere. Um, and uh, we we did. I did a monologue, approximately right here, <laughs> about about Lazarus. Actually, I was just thinking about this just now. It was like 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 five minutes ago, I was thinking, I was, I was like right there. It was 20 years ago. So um, this is my dear wife, Darylise, right here, yeah. Um, yeah, she's from Columbia, and uh, she, she'll talk about a little bit about, about our process. But um, first, I want to thank, thank all of you for having us here. Thanks. Pastor Rex, Pastor Rex has been my, there you are, <laughs> my mentor uh, for, for uh, getting credentials, and uh, he, you know, really kind of, kind of stuck with us through a hard time as well, just, just counseling us and, and helping us along the way. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, so we are from McCook. I don't know, did we say that? Um, uh, not too far away, and we got two little kids, Jer- uh, Jeremiah, oh, there it is, okay, Jeremiah, he's three, and Daryl, uh, there's, there's Darylis and me, and there's Nicolette over here, and she's five, and so uh, you'll see them probably running around in the lobby. Um, they speak Spanish and English, so... Um, 
I am going to go to the Word, all right? If you have your Bibles or your phone or your tablet, or I, I never thought I would say all those things, but you know. Um, or if you have it memorized, I don't know. <laughs> there might be a few. Um, let's go to Exodus chapter 4 and verse 12. In Exodus 4 and verse 12. Let me pray just a moment here. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, giving us the opportunity to open your word and hear from you, Father. Do by your spirit what only you can do in our hearts, God, today. And it says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 12, Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what? to say. Moses was a murderer. He was a man on the run. He was wanted in connection with a murder in Egypt. What had happened was, although the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, Moses grew up in what we would call uh, privilege. And one day, he, he uh, saw an Egyptian. He went out, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. So Moses struck the Egyptian, and whether he meant to or not, he killed the Egyptian. So what did he do? He buried him in the sand, covered his tracks. The next day, he goes out again, and he sees a Hebrew beating another Hebrew. And he goes to the man, and he says, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. Why are you attacking your fellow Hebrew? The man replied, Who made you a ruler or judge over us? Are you planning to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? So Moses had to flee Egypt. He had to run. He went to Midian. He got a new identity. He got a new job as a shepherd in the desert. He got a new wife, a new home. There he stayed for 40 years. For him, that was it. That was what he was going to do. They didn't want him back in Egypt. The Hebrews sure didn't want him. The Egyptians, all they wanted him was, you know, dead. So that was it. How many times in that 40 years do you think that he thought about those words? Who are you to judge me? Has anyone ever said that to you? Who are you to judge me? Right? How many times did he think about it? My mistake. Way back there, killing the Egyptian. And my attempt at leading the Hebrews aright. And they didn't want me. But it wasn't over. You see, Israel cried out because of their slave labor in Egypt. 
The scripture says, God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant. God saw the Israelites and God understood. Number one, God heard. Number two, God remembered. Number three, God saw. And number four, God understood. Some of you today maybe just need to know that God understands. Just that right there. Moses sees the burning bush in the wilderness, and he goes to investigate. If you see a fire, what do you do? Figure it out. Put it out. (laughs) Figure out what's going on, right? Imagine he's in the wilderness in a dry area. There's a bush on fire. Uh, You know, he he has sheep. That's his pasture. He goes to investigate. But it isn't consumed, strangely enough. And he he begins this dialogue with God. And God says to him in Exodus 3, uh, verse 7, he says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry, for I know their sorrows. And I have come down to deliver them. Number one, God saw. Number two, God heard. Number three, God knew. Number four, God came down. So what does God do when he comes down? He commissions Moses. He says, now go. Chapter uh, Exodus 3.10. Now, so now go, and I will send you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. When God is about to move in power, he says, go. Now Moses, you might expect, resists God. He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh or that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt Remember the last time Moses had spoken to Israelites? According to the Bible, what was the last thing he heard? Who made you a judge or ruler over us? Has anybody said something to you maybe years and years and years ago and it so formed your character that even when God says, Go do this or do that. You're like, not me. So Moses begins this dialogue. He says, who am I? What standing do I have to go to Pharaoh? God says, surely I will be with you. Moses says, what if they ask me your name? God says, I am. Moses says, what if they do not pay attention to me, but say, the Lord has not appeared to you? God says, what is in your hand? Moses has a staff, and and God does a miracle with what's in in his hand. Moses says, but I'm not eloquent. I'm not good at speaking. 
And God says, who gave man a mouth? So now, now go, I will be with your mouth. Sometimes my wife says, who gave man a mouth? <laughs> now, Moses comes to the real issue. He says, Lord, please just send somebody else. See, Moses simply doesn't want to go. All those questions, those, I can't speak, I, I, this and that, it was really, when we really got down to it, he just didn't want to. Now, before we get too hard on Moses, we should consider, it's been 40 years since Moses has been in Egypt. He, he has a new job, he has a, you know, well, it's not new anymore, but he has a, he has a, he has a steady job. He, he has, a, he has a, a wife, he has kids, okay, he has family. Um, it had been so long since he'd been there. What do I have? What, what, am I, what would I be doing going back there? And besides, he was wanted for murder there. All right? If you're wanted in Dodge, stay out of Dodge, right? Okay? There are very few men of Moses' generation because Pharaoh had ordered the genocide of all boys during Moses' first years. God had saved Moses' life for a purpose. Of course, God responds again to his, his complaining, his whining, and he gives him his brother to help him. And they eventually, they, they do lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And they, they go to the promised land, and, and Israel uh, establishes itself as a nation, and then they sort of rise and fall, all, as all kingdoms do. And uh, they, they don't obey God, and they, they, begin, they uh, get conquered by one nation after another. And finally, the Romans come along, and Jesus is born into this environment. And, and Jesus is this truth teller, and he says it like it is. And, and because of that, uh, lots of people don't like him. And so Jerusalem has become this politically risky place just like Egypt was politically risky for Moses Jerusalem has become this politically risky place for Jesus to be in and there's lots of different groups that want him dead and so they try they try to get a mob together and stone him they they try some different things and Jesus and his disciples leave and go to a safer place. And then they got word that one of Jesus' closest friends, Lazarus, is sick. And so begins a dialogue in John chapter 11. Jesus 
talks to his disciples and he says, it says, finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. The disciples, verse 8, they say, people in Judea are trying to stone you. Are you going there again? Jesus says, Lazarus is dead, but let's go to him. And Thomas, with the rest of the disciples, Thomas says to the rest of the disciples, let us go and die with Jesus. Going seemed like suicide. But Jesus was sure of what God wanted him to do. So they went to the outskirts of Jerusalem, a place called Bethany. And, and by the time they got there, Lazarus was already dead for four days in a tomb. Jesus walks to the tomb, asks them to roll back the stone in front of their tomb, their cave. They have this cave-like tomb. And Jesus walks up to the stone, the tomb, and says, Lazarus, come out. And it says in John chapter 11, uh, verse 44, and the dead man came out. His hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. See, instead of going to die with Jesus, the disciples saw Jesus letting a man go from death. This is Palm Sunday. But Palm Sunday didn't happen until after this happened. You see, in John chapter 12, verses 17 and 18, it says, Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. That was the reason. See, before Palm Sunday ever happened, Jesus said, let's go. The Pharisees, the, the group that wanted, one of the groups that wanted to kill Jesus, said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look how the whole world has gone after him. This event kicked off the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And this is, this is Palm Sunday. Of course, Good Friday's coming when they're going to kill Jesus. But how can you keep someone dead who gave life to everything? I don't know if they went through the thought process here, all right? He just raised somebody from the dead. Let's kill him. But that's what they did. Well, today, the world is in a time of increasing conflict. We see stuff going on all the time. War. 
people are talking about World War III. There's pandemic. We've just about forgotten about that. <laughs> um, economic issues, inflation, all of these things. Racial conflict, we've almost forgotten about that one too. We've had all these things start up in the last couple of years. And besides that, in many places, the, the church is, is losing its national influence. A lot of young people leave the church, so if you're a young person, where's some young people? There we go, over there. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Awesome that you're here. Countercultural. What is God's command? What is, the, what is the Holy Spirit saying in the face of all this increased opposition and, and, and all this stuff that's going on? What was, what was God's command to Moses when Egypt was a politically risky place for him to go? Go. What, what did Jesus tell the disciples when Jerusalem was a politically risky place for them to go? Let's go. And what is the Holy Spirit telling the church today? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always. Remember Moses? I will be with you. Who am I? I will be with you. Be sure of this. I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Have we, are we at the end of the age yet? Almost, maybe. <laughs> so that means that he's still with us. Now, God has called my wife and I to go to a specific country, a specific, something specific. But God has called each one of you to go, too. You have neighbors, you have friends, you have, you have people that you work with, you have enemies. <laughs> and, and God has sent each of you. And we're going to talk a little bit about how God has uh, moved to send us to Spain. And you might be wondering, why Spain? Well, there's a couple of things. Over 99% of the people in Spain don't know Jesus. That may be hard to realize because, or understand because isn't that a place where there's all those, you know, cathedrals and stone crosses and all that stuff everywhere? Well, Spain is well known for its religious traditions and cathedrals. But today... Spain, uh, most of, of the people are secular. It means that God, God, spirituality, and religion are not at the center. Instead, self is the highest authority. Have you ever heard someone, maybe 
you know, heard a, a Disney movie, follow your heart, right? Yeah, and the heart just kind of goes this way and goes that way and this way, and we're, we're following our hearts. That, that, those are the ideas, some of the ideas behind uh, secularism and the, and the self. In this uh, situation, the self is God. And we're, we're starting to kind of see a lot of that in our culture as well. It's just in Europe, this, that, this thing started there, and it's just more entrenched, and uh, it's more permeated, uh, the, the society. So I want to give my wife a chance to get up here and tell you a little bit about, about Spain and our calling and everything. my notes. <laughs> English is my second language. <laughs> so I need to. Um, well, as my husband mentioned in Pastor Reds, I am uh, Derlis. I am from Colombia. And uh, please allow me to say thank you to you first. Because you, this church uh, is well known because you are faithful supporting missions and supporting missionaries. And I want to thank you for doing that because I am the result of the effort of what many people like you have invested to spread the gospel, plant churches around the world. In my case, uh, I became Christian when I was 11 years old uh, my mother, my sister, and I visit the first Assembly of God church planted in my city. And that was thanks to the money that went from the U.S. and the missionaries that went from here to do that job. So I praise God and I thank you for doing, for keep trusting in God and supporting God's kingdom. And, well, um, my husband and I, God called us to go to Spain. We were praying, and God spoke to us like three years ago, and he said, I'm taking you out of the United States to serve. But he didn't tell us where. So we start to pray, okay, God, tell us where you want us to go. And we were praying for two years before the answer came. <laughs> and last year, God started to do things, um, to, like, letting us see the way to Spain. Last year, we met three girls from Spain. And this girl never knew a Christian, evangelical person. And then God opened the doors for us to go on a short mission trip to Spain. But I wasn't excited. I think I even didn't know exactly what was going on in my heart, but something was going on. And I couldn't say a name for that feeling. But I knew something was going on. And the day before we left to Spain... How many of you know that God knows our hearts better than we do? 
And because he knew my heart, he came with these words um, in Isaiah. Would you please? Thank you. And he spoke to me with these words. For I am. The same words that he said to Moses, huh? For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, I will help you. What I had, it was fear. And when God said that to me, I was like, oops, okay. I have been afraid. And I thought initially it was just a concern because we had to leave our two little ones here in the U.S. And my mom came from Colombia, and she was going to be in charge of taking care of them. She doesn't speak English. She just speaks Spanish. And then my husband's father was going to help her to take care of the kids. But my father-in-law doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> so imagine that scene there. And, but the interesting thing is that our daughter, Nicolette, at that time she was four years old, she was going to be in charge of translating for grandma and grandpa. <laughs> but then... God says, no, you have fear. This is what is going on. I will help you. So I said, okay, we are going to Spain with this promise that God will help us. And, you know, that is another way of saying I am with you. And then, well, we went to Spain, and God showed us in so many ways the truth of his word. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And when we were there, we visited a cathedral. And they have a big door, huge door to go in, and a huge door on the back to go out of this cathedral that we visit. We went in, and as soon as we get in, God asked me, to testify with the words, I am light, life, and joy. Once again, God didn't tell me to whom. There were so many people in that place, and I started to pray, okay, God, to whom you want me to say these words? So then we, went, we just walked outside the cathedral, and we found uh, this uh, man in the picture, uh, an older Spaniard man named Francisco. He, when we were just walking out, he came to me. He approached me to ask for money. And I said, my husband was uh, looking for money, and I said, we will give you money. And I just felt, when I opened my mouth, I just felt how the Holy Spirit took control of my mouth. And I said, we will give you money, but the money will only satisfy your physical need temporarily. Jesus is the only one who will satisfy your spiritual need permanently because Jesus is light, 
life and joy. If you open your heart to Jesus, he will bring those things into your life. And this man, looking at me, started crying. And he said, I need that. He said, I have been wanting to die. I have been a widow since 1970, and he was left with three girls. He said that one of the girls died when she was 37 years old. The other two girls got married and abandoned him. God knew his heart. God knew his need. And we shared the gospel with this man. And he opened his heart to Jesus right there outside of the cathedral. We hold hands and we pray with him. And he accepted Jesus at that moment. You know, we need the Holy Spirit because he is the one who knows our needs and who knows our heart. And this is the Holy Spirit work in that man's life. We were just uh, vassals for God to use us. And then God said to us that that was the place that he has for us to serve him. We came back from that trip and we applied to become missionaries in obedience to God. And we, for our surprise... We got approved in less, in less than four months. Normally, it takes between nine months and a year. So, we know God wants us to be there. Uh, a few weeks ago, with all this uh, crisis happening in Ukraine and Russia, a Christian brother came to me and he said, hey, are you guys sure that you want to be in Europe? <laughs> you know, that gave me the opportunity to preach. So don't ask me that question, okay? <laughs> if you are not ready for an hour of conversation, don't ask me that question. <laughs> so I preached to him. Uh, okay, so... He never has anything about it. He's like, he's at me, hi. Okay, so I am warning you, okay? Well, anyway, God uh, is sending us to Spain, and we will be working with a ministry called On the Red Bats. Would you please help me? Okay, thank you. Uh, the ministry is called On the Red Bats. It's called that way because we use a red bus as a platform platform uh, to do public evangelism, to share the gospel publicly. And it's red, it's just because it's a striking color. It doesn't have any like spiritual meaning behind that color. <laughs> uh, so it's just that. And uh, please, the next one. Thank you. On the red bats is located, you see the red uh, rectangle there? That is downtown, uh, the building where we have uh, our location. It's in the center of Madrid, Spain. And it's like the downtown area. And let me please uh, see the, <laughs> my notes here. Uh, 
that area, that area in Spain is called La Puerta del Sol. In English, is Gate of the Sun. It's a public square in Madrid, and it's the busiest place in the, in, in the capital city, in Madrid, where 10 main streets of the capital come together. Almost, well, every day, thousands and thousands of people walk through that area because that is the massive place in Spain. And then we, on the red bus, we use the opportunity to make sure that the gospel is proclaimed in that place. Uh, we, please, uh, oh, look here. That is the area, the venue that we use to proclaim the gospels. The gospel, six days in the week, we make sure that about three hours, we spend three hours doing public evangelism. And we also do personal evangelism. And we also will be helping with training believers, training the church to help them to reach their own community and to help them to conserve the harvest. Uh, would you please, the next one? Okay, that, uh, that is a video, and it's in Spanish, but it has English, English subtitles, so please, uh, I hope you, can, you are able to read the subtitles. Would you please click on it? Thank you. Oh, no, go back. <laughs> it's a video. I, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, technology is good, but it, it's not perfect either. <laughs> well, you can stretch here while we wait a little. <laughs> Thank you so much for your patience. Let me see if I can help. Oh, okay, thank you, okay. Because we have it in a different spatula. Oh, but it's okay, okay, thank you. Sabía que Jesús era bueno y es esa relación con Él que empezó desde pequeña. Ya cuando empecé a entrar en la adolescencia, eh, no es que dejara de creer en Dios, sino que lo, lo abandoné. Y empecé realmente a, a poner mis expectativas en las personas. Todo ese auge de querer vivir a la vida a tu manera, hacer las cosas como tú quieres. Eh, y entonces eh, yo caí en una depresión. Dejé de tener ganas de vivir, tan duro como eso. Me acuerdo que me había ido de vacaciones a Cantabria con mis padres y para mis adentros empecé a pensar ¿cuándo fue la última vez que fui feliz? Y empecé a pensar para atrás y cada vez que lo veía me asustaba, ¿no? Porque era cada vez 
era cada vez más, más lejano ese momento. Y yo me vi a mí misma hablando con Jesús. Volví otra vez a pensar en Cristo. Estaba con una amiga que estaba viviendo en Madrid y me dijo, Vero, ¿pero por qué no te vienes a Madrid? ¿Qué tienes que perder? Y en ese momento hablé a Dios y le dije, Señor, ¿será que yo me tengo que ir a Madrid? Y en mi interior hubo una sola palabra, muy sencilla y pequeñita, y me dijo, ve. Y eso hice. Aún a pesar de no entender, había algo que estaba pasando dentro de mí. Me compré una libreta para empezar a escribirle. Señor, yo no sé cómo encontrarte. Yo necesito que tú me mandes a alguien que me sepa llevar hasta el camino. Y, y salí, salí al, al centro, pasé por la Puerta del Sol. Lo primero que yo recuerdo es escuchar a alguien cantando. Eh, y la palabra clave para yo pararme fue Jesús. Y luego escuché a una persona, hablaban de que, de que él había muerto por mí, de que él me amaba, de que él había hecho todo para mí y que, y que si yo me arrepentía, si yo reconocía ¿no? todo ese, ese peso de mi pecado y creía en él, entonces él me perdonaba. Y en ese momento yo hice una oración sencilla y lo acepté en mi corazón. Yo sentía un fuego dentro de mí, algo que, 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 que Dios estaba haciendo. Yo estaba diciendo, Dios mío, estás haciéndolo, ¿no? Estás, estás cambiando algo. Como si el peso que había dentro de mí, que era un peso profundo e imposible de sacar por mí misma, de repente ya no estaba. That was uh, Vero's testimony. And, you know, like Vero, like Francisco, there are people, so many people needing to know Jesus. More than material things, people are needing Jesus. And Vero pray, God, send someone that will show me the way to Jesus. I'm sure there are many people like her asking God or needing, even without knowing, really knowing that I need someone that will show me the way to Jesus. I want you to imagine a gypsy from Eastern Europe. Imagine someone from Africa. Imagine a refugees from Ukraine. Imagine an LGBTQ couple, all together in one place, listening the message of Jesus Christ. We are there to make sure that people will be able to hear the gospel. And we are your missionaries to Spain transforming life with the light. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, Pastor Reza, I will.
what an incredible opportunity for these guys to go. And, you know, the Lord said, go, and they are, they're going. Now, it's our opportunity to send, right? Because they can't get there unless we help them get there. And that's how our mission system works. So uh, here in a few minutes as we dismiss, you can drop, if you want to give towards the Gasters, you can drop uh, an envelope in the box out there. Uh, just mark Gaster or Spain on it, if you can't spell Gaster. Uh, you can drop that in there. You can give online. <clears throat> you can pick missions, and there's a little spot to put a note. You can put Gaster or Spain on there. You can also give through the app. You can mail it in. Uh, but we just want to help them get there uh, because they're leaving the comfort of central Nebraska, going to a totally different culture. Uh, Darryl is probably a little more comfortable than Jeremy is at first, but he'll get there. Uh, so... But we're so excited for these guys. And I love, she shared that story with us in meetings before. I love that she is the product of missionaries who were sent. She's here, now she's going because someone sent someone to her. So it's coming full circle. That's how God works. So uh, would you stand with me this morning?